The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. And welcome to Business is Boring. Debt can be a trap that can be very hard for people to get out of, especially when many finance companies are set up to profit from that debt. It's also a place where normally the worst things are going for you, the worse the interest, fees, and conditions you will experience. One new startup is out to try to change this, with a former finance company executive leaving the industry to set up a new model that is there to consolidate loans and give bonuses for good actions like increasing financial literacy and keeping to repayment schedules. Called Money Sweet Spot, they have been able to more than halve the interest people are paying in cases and are set up with backing from Christian organisations and the Tyndall Foundation as a way to combat the debt spiral while still running as a business. To talk the journey, the unorthodox model, turning poacher from gamekeeper and measuring impact, not loan book size as success, co-founder and CEO Sasha Lockley joins us now. Tanakwe. Kia Thank you for having me. Hey, so your journey into being a founder is a really cool kind of squiggly line of life, like being an accountant, consultant, executive, board member, and now biting off that big job of starting a venture as a founder. Tell me about that journey. I am an accountant that hates numbers, but I was told I needed to be an accountant by my mum. And that's because where I come from in England, you kind of... um, you get born in the village, you stay in the village, you don't leave the village and you have one job and you work really hard to keep it. And my mum really wanted me to be rich. So she told me I needed to be an accountant. But the meandering journey really, um, I started with some numbers and accounting, but it was never really my thing. In fact, I was a pretty terrible accountant because I'm really not that great at detail numbers. I like a spreadsheet, but only because it can show me patterns, you know, and connections and build a picture. Um, So I did come across to New Zealand as an accountant, as a forensic accountant. So I used to investigate fraud and do commercial disputes and all of those good things. But again, that's all about human behavior and what drives people to do good or bad things. And I worked at the Serious Fraud Office. Um, Again, seeing the bad behavior. But I think really for me, it's always been about joining together people and numbers. And when I then got offered a job at um, as an executive at one of the biggest finance companies in New Zealand, that was the the place really when I kind of looked at the my history of looking at the bad, the serious fraud office, looking at all of those awful things that happened, especially back in 2008 with the financial crisis. Um, and then kind of being responsible for all of that 
at a finance company that was growing and going, oh my goodness, I'm now accountable for all of this stuff. And how do I know that we're doing the right thing? Um, I think that those are the kind of key parts of the journey that made me decide that I needed to jump into being a founder because I've got this kind of pretty unique perspective, really. Um, an accountant that hates numbers that used to investigate things that then had to run a finance company. So I've got this circle. Um, yeah. And that's why I eventually jumped. Yeah. Tell us about that world of finance as, um, you, you know, like, like when you talk about running a finance company, you're making sure that, um, you're running things well, like what does good look like in that space and what's the kind of status quo often? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, what does good look like? I think good looks like when you take the time to listen to what's really going on for people rather than trying to put people into a box and a process. And so think, from my perspective, I think that um, we've kind of lost that connection of having the humanity in financial services and we need to bring it back. Um, so good for me was people first um, rather than balance sheet first, if you like. And the whole kind of like concept of finance companies, as you referred back to with like 2008 and the crash and stuff, like probably um, didn't have, would it be fair to say that it didn't have the most um, shining reputation in kind of caring about people and trying to do the best by the customers? Yeah. Yeah. All of those things are completely true. And um, I'm being really honest, when I got offered the job at this finance company, um, I had to do a lot of soul searching and know whether I was up for it. You know, um, it was 2015 and I started um, at the finance company. And um, I guess for me, it's always been about, um, I know that we can do better and be better. And um, if I see that there's an opportunity to do that, I'm going to jump in with my, both feet um, and try and, be part of that rather than kind of standing on the sidelines moaning about it. It's a little bit like the election. You know, I really hate people that um, moan about the government, but then you ask them whether they voted and they didn't. Well, actually, if you don't participate, then you can't moan either. So it's a little bit like that for me. And what did you discover in this kind of journey through finance company land uh, that led you to kind of uncover this problem that you wanted to solve at Money Sweet Spot? Yeah. So when I was um, at the finance company, what I noticed, and I've kind of got these fundamental beliefs that have become really clear to me. So I believe that people are good and that bad things can happen to any of us. And I believe that the system judges people for what life inherently is, which is unpredictable. Right. And I used to have to explain that a lot. And um, I left the role at the um, finance company in March 2020, which is a great time to leave your, you know, salary during a global pandemic. It's just amazing. Um, but I used to have to try and explain that people are good and a bad thing can happen to any of us. And then COVID happened. And now everybody's like, of course, bad things can happen to everybody, you know. Um, but before then, people are like, oh, no, these bad things that mean that people can't repay their loans, they happen to those others, the others across there. And now I think there's the shared experience of COVID, which has been incredibly painful for lots of different people, um, that now means that people kind of go, oh, yeah, I got that. So really for me, it was that I noticed that if people faced an unpredictable life event, 
and something happened to them, I felt like the system, the financial services system then abandoned them and didn't do well enough for them. Acknowledging that people are good, and this is a temporary blip, it's not a permanent blip, and that, you know, 99% of people out there are good and they want to do the right thing and they're not, you know, getting into debt just because they really don't want to pay you. Like, that's just not even a thing. So I believe that there was this opportunity to acknowledge and create a finance system that um, acknowledged all of those things and figured out a way of helping people if something bad did happen so they can move through it. Let's not have people be defined by their debt. Let's have people be able to move through it and get on with their lives. And this idea of like a debt spiral that people will kind of instinctively understand, you know, something doesn't go your way and then interest and fees add up and something else doesn't go your way and then suddenly there's all kinds of dishonor things. And next thing you know, you've got this incredibly compounding problem. And when you look at a lot of the stories of how people get into, um, you know, out of their depth in these situations, they're often linked to a tragedy or an accident. So a, a breadwinner becoming ill or injured or dying or, you know, a flood or, you know, all of these things that that that, that, that take people, you know, you, you know, so many people are more precarious than, than you might imagine. Mm, yeah, completely. You're absolutely right. And I think um, the kind of the compounding interest, the fees that get added, you know, and when people don't pay or aren't able to pay their loans, I mean, it's a scary thing to then pick up the phone to a bank or a finance company and go, hey, I haven't paid. Because you're scared of being judged, right? Like, you know, it's a scary conversation to have. But the reality for people is if you don't pick up the phone, then things do get worse and the fees do get added. So you're completely right around the debt spiral and people kind of juggle. So you'll see, oh, well, I'll pay the, I might pay the credit card this month and then I'll pay the electric next month or, you know, so there's this kind of juggle. And then at some point the balls drop, mm. you know, and then it's really hard, um, really hard to to come back from. Um yeah. Yeah. And with that kind of acknowledging the role of life, which, you know, most loan contracts don't do, you know, how did you decide to then go about and try and set something up that that could um, take into account these things or allow for them? Yeah. So I think um, you mentioned earlier about kind of the this kind of spiral affecting more and more people. And I think that there's been a lot of narrative around, you know, oh, well, it's people that are maybe beneficiaries or are on low income that this is all affecting. The debt spiral is, you know, a, a particular part of society. And I'm finding that that's not true. It's actually good, hardworking Kiwis that are juggling and um, might have a couple of kids, but they are, there are, they're just in the juggle. And especially with inflation at, what is it, 7.2 at the moment, you know, uh, cost of food and groceries was going up over 25%, I think, you know, more and more people are in this juggle. So how I went about it was that when I left my job in March 2020, I did lots of listening, actually. I did lots of listening and walking around community and asking people kind of what the, the gap for them really was. Um, and where I landed, I started off going, shall I be an ethical debt collector, which would have been a strange place to go, to be honest. Um, but, you know, that was again about acknowledging that, you know, if you're, if you haven't paid your debt, then things will go to a debt collector and maybe people could be better taken care of there. But really from all the conversations I had, people just went, you know what, I had this spiral. I've got into this debt. I've figured it out now. Can I start a new chapter? 
like, great, cool, a new chapter. Well, what's that? That's a debt consolidation loan. And then looking at the interest rates that you can pay on debt consolidation loans, they're really, really high. Um, and figuring out how we could price something that was um, better for them and also taking care of them rather than it just being a loan. Um, so that's where I started. And then I thought about, well, how can we um, acknowledge the good that people are doing, right? So actually paying your loan at the moment is a bloody achievement, isn't it? Keeping on top of your bills is an achievement at the moment. So how can we value that in a new financial system? So with Sweet Spot, if you um, pay on time and you don't get into any more debt, then um, you get a contribution to community that you can choose to donate in the community. Um, if you engage with our financial education um, program, um, then you get some extra money off your loan. So you're acknowledging the baby steps and the commitment that people have made when life is bloody busy you know, and trying to build out what that concept could be over time. So thinking about, you know, the, the value of a person isn't just the cash in your pocket. If you think about your friends in your community, what other things do you value? It could be, um, I don't know, um, contribution to community, working at the Marae. It could be that I wish somebody valued the fact that I got a new qualification now, even though my income isn't going to go up for two years. How could we value that so that people can get out of debt quicker? So that's kind of the the belief is that we should value the good now and help people to financially reset. And that's what we've ended up building. And we launched in December. And um, it's bloody scary, to be honest, but um, I'd have it no other way. And that is such a radical change to the normal experience of people, isn't it, that you're offering here with this idea and that normally if you get out of um, control with your loans, the people you deal with become nastier, scarier, the interest rates go up and the penalties and treatment get worse. And to try and go, hey, things have got worse for you. How about we try and like make things better for you? Um, it's a pretty radical departure from the norm. <laughs> yep, it is radical. And um, that meant that trying to explain this vision um, to investors and to bank funders that provide us the capital to lend has been, um, you know, a three-year journey um, to, to kind of provide enough comfort that we're still a financially sustainable business because we still charge interest on our loans, right? We're not saying we're a charity. We want to demonstrate that you can be a perfectly sustainable financial organization without charging 40% interest, right? And that you can show and demonstrate that people are good and better than the system is judging them, you know? And, and how could we tell that story? So we've been really lucky in... Um, um, being able to kind of find partners that have kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, like um, heard the call, if you like. Yeah, and we'll be back in a moment to hear from Sasha how you do find partners to go against the norm and how they're building Money Sweet Spot. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step -step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? 
Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. We're back with Sasha Lockley of Money Sweet Spot. So you've got a pretty amazing bunch of backers supporting uh, the launch of the business. People like um, the Tyndall Foundation, a number of um, Christian organisations as well. Tell us about how you go about assembling um, maybe people who aren't typical investors in startups um, with a co-papa like this. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me it's been lots and lots of cups of tea. Um, and when I really think back to it, I was always really clear and grounded about what this mission needed to be. And I was unwavering in that, which meant that I said no to some investors, which is really hard as a founder when you really want to get this, this mission off the ground. But I knew that if I said yes to some of the more traditional investors, that it may, um, send us off course, you know? So I had lots of cups of tea and met with Christian Savings as they ended up being our principal investor, our first investor. Um, And that was within the context of social housing and being innovative around um, housing solutions. And then came the kind of ecosystem approach of Christian Savings saying, oh, I think the Tyndall Foundation would think this was fabulous. And there is the um, Tutu Tahua um, Centre for Sustainable Finance um, uh, organization. So kind of looping in there meant that we were enveloped into an ecosystem that I didn't know existed, to be honest. Um, and being pretty vulnerable, I guess, about why this business was so important to me, um, meant that, um, some investors became disinterested because I was way too vulnerable and vulnerable and a bit weird, if you like. I don't really look, you know, I'm not blue suit wearing traditional financial services exec, but the right people stayed. Yeah. I guess maybe that's a really key part of the story is that, you know, we talked about the fact that I found a gap in a market, but the gap in the market wasn't really the reason why I started Sweet Spot. So for me, I was um I was at work one day and um I was driving back over the Harbour Bridge. And at the time, I couldn't really understand why I was getting so upset about the stories of um, my customers in in the job I was in at the time. And I mean, I would get really upset and cry and I just couldn't understand it because on the face of it, I'm a middle class white woman of privilege, right? On the face of it. Um, So how dare I think that I can empathize or sympathize with our customers? How dare I? 
And that was kind of like my uh, judgmental voice in the middle. And I remember distinctly going over the Harbour Bridge and my matrix moment happened. And then before my eyes, I saw all these little pieces of the puzzle. And I realized that the reason that um, this mission is so important to me is that it's it, it represents different parts of my life that were in my customers, right? So I do come from that little town that I mentioned right at the start. Um, and uh, where I come from, um, we suffered some hardship. You know, my dad's business was bankrupt, so we hid from um, debt collectors behind the sofa. Was my dad a bad person? Nope. He was a good person that a bad thing happened to because my granddad died unexpectedly and he needed to milk cows at the farm, right? Um, my mom died at 58. She was an alcoholic. Does that make my mom bad? Nope. You know? Um, and then when I was actually working in law enforcement, um, I had a complete nervous breakdown. Does that make me a bad person? No. Did that mean that I lost friends, relationships, uh, a bit of financial stability? Absolutely. So, you know, we talked about this market and this gap, but for me, it was that I could see myself in, you know, all of these um, places and in these people's eyes, you know. So if we loop back round to the partners, you can imagine talking to some partners and some investors about that. And that was too hard for them to hear, I think. And it's a bit of a case, isn't it, of like a gamekeeper turned poacher where you know you've been on the, the the industries that there's that great kind of line that rich people earn interest and poor people pay interest which is what so much of the industry is based off you know getting someone in and then knowing that they're going to be um a, a, a cash cow you know for, for them over time and um to go against that it must as well as that personal connection to it but i imagine a lot of investors would have gone well, that's bananas. How are you gonna how are you gonna milk them? Where's all the money gonna come from if you don't exploit them? So yeah, how 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 do you how do you get across the line a business that isn't, you know, you, you have said it is still charging interest, it's not a charity in that case, but that isn't explicitly built to exploit. Yeah, exactly. So we, um, we've been toying around what the right words are, whether it's purpose-driven, ethical, whatever the right word is. But essentially, we're, uh, we focus on financial sustainability so that we can still be of service to New Zealanders, whatever that looks like. And our investors don't have a dividend um, requirement for the first few years, right? And then even after that, we've got a dividend cap. So we're never going to be the organisation that investors are going to make, you know, um, lots and lots of money out of and growth for growth's sake. You know, I really hate um, financial targets when people say, oh, we're going to be a billion dollar business. I'm like, I don't give a monkeys about the billion dollars. I'm like, what impact are we going to have for people? So that's what we measure. We don't measure the size of our book. We measure the impact that we have. And then with our um, money to lend, our bank funder, um, we fall under their social impact strategy, which means that the money that we lend is at a, it is is at a cost of funds that's lower than um, other financial services organisations would be if they were purely for profit. And, and t tell us about the structure of it. Like, how does it work in terms of, you, you know, comparatively to the status quo? And is it, like, quite a challenging thing? Because I guess there's, like, a real, you've got to be very careful. Um, you're dealing with people who 
have maybe demonstrated an ability to default and you may still be dealing with people who will default. And so that'll be a really difficult line to walk as well in those instances. Yeah, look, um, it's one of the biggest challenges that we face, especially in this environment. So, you know, we are a finance company and all of the regulations that come with that apply to us. And we are helping people that have maybe missed a few payments. So that kind of affordability, um, the triple CFA kind of requirement around, is this the right solution for them, um, is our biggest risk and our biggest challenge. Because sometimes saying no is the right decision, but my goodness, where do they go then? You know, And um, I think that's where the Toitu Tahua Centre for Sustainable Finance has come in, because what we've said is that we are part of an ecosystem. And if we say no, we will take care and hand to places that can take care of them rather than, you know, kind of being a being a box. Um, I mean, I think there's some work to do in our industry about kind of some changes happened last year in in the triple CFA and the intent was really good and it was meant to you know protect people but what I've actually seen is that the reality of that is quite different for people people are being kept in higher cost debt you know and we need some changes uh, to our industry to help people to get out of that higher cost debt Um, otherwise they can't get out of the spiral right yeah, yeah, tell me about that because when you say changes to the triple C F A thing, are, 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 are those the changes that you know a lot of people have been experiencing? And there's been lots of news about uh, more intrusive questions about spending and um, fewer loan applications or um, consolidation applications being approved as a result. And so, if you're in a loan, you can stay in it. But if you try and improve your situation, <laughs> people are sometimes being told no. Yeah, all of those things. Absolutely, it's those changes. So, so if like if we take a step back, right? As um, lenders, it's really important that we make a good decision, right? And that we don't put people in a, a worse situation because we've provided a loan to them, right? And that's common sense. And so, therefore, we need to make sure that people can afford to repay, right? All good stuff. Um, but what the the regulations require us to do is to get a, a kind of a a more detailed understanding of that than would have applied a few years ago, which meant that, you know, there was stuff in the press about more intrusive questions around affordability and Netflix and, you know, all sorts of all sorts of bits and bobs. Um, and that has led to more people being underserved, right? Underserved by the market. And when I say underserved, I mean that they may not be able to consolidate their debt down to a lower interest rate. They have to stay at that 28, 32. 45, 48%. We refinanced somebody out of 49% interest last week, you know. Um, So, yes, it's all of that narrative. Um, It was intended to be helpful. Is it too intrusive? Hmm. I'm not, I think it's the way that the industry communicates. Back to right at the start, we talked about the humanness not being in the industry anymore. Well, if the intrusive questions are asked by uh, a robot that is very clearly just focusing on a box and a black and white answer, then I can imagine that would be a horrific experience. But if you take the position, which is what we do, of just understanding and making sure that this is a helpful solution for people, then it's not so intrusive. We we look at bank statements and transactions and we have chats with our customers, but um, I've not had anybody yet say that that's an intrusive process. It's about setting them up to be successful and that the financial reset's going to be an awesome thing that they can move through, you know? 
And and how do you do that for customers? Like what would be a good example of, um, you know, a change in interest rate down to something you've been able to provide or the approach that you're trying to take with that? Yeah. Um, so the types of people that we've been able to help, they're paying normally over 30% in interest on a loan, um, some mid-20s, um, and our average interest rate's 14 yeah, which is which is the kind of if you're if you're a business trying to get a lend, a loan out of your bank, you're probably paying fourteen percent at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the kind of the interest rate tables um, that are available online, we're you know very competitive. And if you were kind of going to take a standard interest rate for the person that we would um, be lending to, you know, they may be closer to a twenty percent ordinarily. Um, because of the way our business is structured, we're able to reduce that interest rate down because we don't have the profit motive, because we don't have that really high cost of funds that can be a reality for lots of finance businesses. We're able to kind of um, reduce that rate down and then also provide an opportunity for people to reduce that um, cost of that debt down by doing kind of the engagement and the gamification things that that we've built as well. And what stage are you at now in the life of the company? Recently launched, years, and, you know, like three three years of getting it set up as it's so against the grain, so so um, so unusual in the industry. And, and where are you at now? So we opened our doors on the 14th of December, just before Christmas, um, quietly to make sure that kind of what we'd intended around our experience um, was kind of landing with what people really needed. Um, so we've been open what, just over a month, which is amazing. And um, I, I guess uh, the story of a founder is that as soon as we went live, um, I might have just, you know, taken a breath for about three minutes. And then I'm thinking about, well, that was just our first launch. That was our MVP. What does it need to be for February? <laughs> What does it need to be for September, you know? So uh, we're very early. We've lent about $350,000 to Kiwi already um, in that six weeks. Um, smallest loan is 2500 Our biggest loan is $48,000. So financial resets for people all around the country. And then from February, we're doing our um, fresh start February to acknowledge that, you know, uh, New Year's resolutions not that great. But in February, it's still not too late to reset your finances. So we're we're wanting to provide a million dollars of financial resets in February um, because then that sets people up for the rest of the year. And how can people get involved if they're interested in, you know, learning more or sharing this being available to people that it um, it might help? And who are the people you're looking to help? Because, I mean, it really is, it's, it's people who, if you're experiencing very high interest rates and you've been, um, you know, on the back foot with things, then you can do the most help, can't you, if you're kind of halving the interest that they're, they're paying. Um, but you're saying that's not a particular um, demographic, it's not particular anything, yeah. So how to get involved or find out more is it on our website, which is moneysweetspot.co.nz. And we've got a, a LinkedIn page as well that's more focused towards um, organisations supporting communities. So you can hop on there as well. Um, and the types of people that we're wanting to help are, like you said, it's not a particular demographic. It's more the people that are juggling and kind of getting sick of the juggle and know that the balls are getting, there's more and more balls that we're juggling. We're going to drop one. And 
um, we're not we're not kind of struggling. So struggling would be people that um, have maybe not been able to make their loan payments for three months or more. Right. Uh, juggling is, well, sometimes I'll pay that one and then that one, you know, kind of people are bouncing and bouncing the balls. I'm mixing my analogies with juggling and bouncing now, but hey, ho. but, you know, um, so there is no income limit, um, but the concept of juggling. And like I said before, kind of up to that $45,000 of consumer debt, most people will be paying over 20% interest, but that captures again, quite a lot of New Zealand with their credit cards. Um, and the other thing I guess that we've not talked about, but I do want to bring up is the um, the kind of the impact of buy now, pay later. Um, and um, Centrix brought out a report this month um, that said 9% of buy now, pay later accounts are in arrears. And um, I'm bringing that up because buy now, pay later is great and it's an awesome service, and I think it's a great experience as long as you can pay on time. But when 9% of people aren't paying on time, then fees do mount up. So we are seeing lots of um, lots of people with buy now, pay laters coming through as well. So we are able to bundle up lots of different consumer debts for people. Um, but yeah. Kiwi's juggling. And the kind of un... Um... You, you, you know, something maybe untended consequence of buy now, pay later in the more strenuous checking environments is that missing buy now, pay later can mean that you then aren't able to change other debt and uh, get other access to other services because um, it's a much worse sing- signal on people's credit records than perhaps people had ever thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's a worse signal. I think it's just a signal, and there are many signals on those credit reports, um, including whether you're paying your phone bill on time and your utility bill, you know. So I think it is it is a picture, um, and I'm really glad that um, the buy now, pay later providers are now providing data to the credit reports because, you know, that does help us, again, back to, you know, if we even assume that the industry is also wanting to do good, we don't want to make bad decisions that are going to be really harmful, like, the majority of the industry, I'm sure, don't want to do that. Um, so having a complete picture is really important. But absolutely, um, it is really challenging and people having really big balances of buy now, pay later. Um, you know, you've got a short-term buy now, pay later arrangement and you end up with a long-term loan to repay it. Yeah, with fees up the wazoo if you're not careful. And yeah, and, and in terms of that, like, you know, where do you see or where would you like to see the mission of this business going like it's a it, as you said it's like a, a real path to walk between uh being a for-profit but having a purpose um approach um having things in the business that mean that there are cap dividends and that you aren't just trying to maximize profit but you know to grow you need to to run a profit like how how's that going and and and, and where do you where do you see the company ending up that's a huge question so um So for me, I have always said that we will not grow for growth's sake, right? If we identify through chatting to our customers in the community that there is an underserved need of Kiwis, then we'll create something for them. But we're not going to say, well, we're going to come out with a mortgage and a this and a that. That's not the way we will choose to participate in this this country. Um, The second thing is that Really what I'm about is um, my co-founder, who's called Rig, he says that, um, and this might be quite an unpopular statement for a podcast, but anyway, uh, I want to break the algorithm of credit scores, right? So credit scores, 
um, absolutely serve a purpose. They do contain lots of information, but I think that there is more data and information and value that people have beyond those credit scores. So I, um, the mission really is to demonstrate to all of the industry and to all Kiwi the good that we're doing in any event that isn't valued by that current system and to share that information so that other people can benefit from it. And then the third thing is to create a platform for communities to lend to their own communities in a way that resonates with that community. And what I mean by that is that um, they are able to create a loan product for their people and the gamification element, if you like, um, of rewarding people for good um, reflects their community. So, for example, in Tarafti in Gisborne, they have one of the highest levels of volunteerism in the country. So how could we create a repayment mechanism for a loan that acknowledges and values that? So we're a bit innovative. We're a bit strange. We're the first lender in the world to um, link a financial education and behavior change platform to lending because most lenders, you know, uh, like to keep their customers. And we're saying we're like the stranger things of finance. <laughs> We win when we lose you as a customer. <laughs> we don't want to upsell. We don't want to top you up. Like financial reset and you getting on with your life, we've won, you know. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for Money Sweet Spot? Rig and I talk about Sweet Spot being our legacy mission and leaving this industry better than, you know, the one that we started with. Um, for me personally... It's actually about demonstrating and showing to my kids that you can agitate a really um, traditional system that you don't need to fit, that you can try new things, that it's okay to push the boundaries and that if you do push the boundaries, the right people stay with you and the wrong people go and they were never your people. So success for me is that if I chat to the kids in 20 years time, they'll go, I know you left that great salary, mom. But it was absolutely the right thing to do because I think as a parent, um, you know, leaving that stable salary and those shares and all those things that, you know, uh, my mum would have been really proud that I got to start something that might fail, that might not work. Um, on the face of it was really risky. But um, like I said, right at the start, I'd have it no other way. And winning for Sweet Spot, winning for Sweet Spot is that we become the place where you can feel taken care of and restart your financial life. But it is the place where you are able to move through debt and that you feel taken care of. And that if life happens again, that we still take care of you, you know, that you are able to repay debt, even if you haven't got cash in your pocket, what could that look like? Um, and I guess creating a different conversation around sustainable finance for Aotearoa, like being a real strong voice in there that um, acknowledges the human and the value of human that um, if we as a industry bothered to listen to, then actually we'd all win. It would be better for all of us. Yeah, that's so great. Well, thank you for sharing the start of that story and can't wait to see where you take it into the future. That's CEO and co-founder of Money Sweet Spot, Sasha Lockley. Kia ora. Kia ora. So thank you to Sasha, to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, 
That was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.